If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 25. 1 Samuel 25. If you thought we read a lot of Scripture last week in 1 Samuel 24, then this chapter is even longer. But I have come up with the abridged version if you're reading along. And if you're not reading along, you can just kind of look at this like the cliff notes of this chapter. Because it's, it's very packed with incredible narrative and information. And I want to speak to you on the death of two great men. The death of two great men. Notice how chapter 25 starts off, and I'm going to skip some verses as we go. We'll go through this very quickly. 1 Samuel 25. And Samuel died. There's the death of one great man. And all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him in his house at Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel. And the man was very great. Here's another great man, but for very different reasons. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, his wife, Abigail. She was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep, and David sent out ten young men. And David said unto the young men, Get you up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And that's when Nabal blows up on the ten men of David. And they skip down to verse 9. David tells these young men what to say. Verse 9, And when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all those words in the name of David, and ceased. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shearers and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him all these sayings. And David said unto his men, Gird ye on every man his sword. And David arms his men to go and kill and destroy the house of Nabal. Skip over to verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, in verse 18, Abigail made haste, but she told not her husband Nabal. And in verse 20, as Abigail goes to meet David, it was so that when she came down by the covert of the hill, and behold, David and his men came down against her, and she met them, verse 23. And when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the ass or the donkey that she was riding, and fell before David on her face, and bowed herself to the ground, and fell at his feet, and said, listen to what she says, Upon me, my Lord, upon me let this iniquity be, verse 25. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial or Baal, even Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord, whom thou didst send. And now this blessing which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, she's taken food to them. Now this blessing that thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid. You catch the language? 
For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. But the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, and nobody does, but it sure sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> she knows how to turn a phrase, doesn't she? And the souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling. I wonder where she got that reference from. Anybody? <laughs> And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice. And this is verse 32 and 33. And blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou. That's a lot of blessings, isn't it? Which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. Go up in peace to thine house. See, I have hearkened to thy voice and have accepted thy person. Look at verse 36. And Abigail came to Nabal. And he held a feast in his house, like the feast of a king, and Nabal's heart was merry with him, for he was very drunken. You know, it's ironic. While there is an army coming to destroy him, this foolish man is drunk at his house. Verse 37, But it came to pass in the morning when the wine was gone out of Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. He had a stroke. And it came to pass about 10 days later that the Lord smote Nabal, that he died. Here's the death of the second great man. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord that hath pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and hath kept his servant from evil. For the Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head. And David sent and communed with Abigail, the widow of Nabal, to take her to him to wife. There's so many lessons in this chapter. There's a lesson about overcoming evil with good. You remember last week, that's what we talked about. But you think, didn't David just learn that? You know, it's interesting that in the previous chapter, David went and laid down on his face before the man that was trying to kill him. Saul, you remember? And just a chapter later, a few days later, David is about to go and slaughter the house of Nabal, who is a man that said something to his servant, said inappropriate things to his servant. Didn't even speak it directly to David. That just seems really unequal, doesn't it? It sounds like David forgot the lesson of forbearance. You know, he had it over here, but then he doesn't have it over there. I hope that we all can identify with such as that. Because you may be on top of the mountain one day and down in the valley the next day, or you may be in control of yourself one day and out of control of your emotions and your, and your, your temptations and giving in to temptation and so forth the next day. It's, it's a roller coaster for the child of God. It's just a roller coaster. And here, David is now going to kill someone who didn't even speak to him directly and wasn't trying to kill him. He just insulted his men. Other lessons that you could take from this is doing right no matter how bad your circumstance is. And this is the lesson that Abigail gives us. If you've ever been in a bad situation, you can't get much worse than what Abigail was in here. And there's been a lot of speculation. How was Abigail married to this fool, to this Nabal? Well, back in those days, it was most likely that there was some type of arranged marriage or dowry, you know, transferred between families. And then, good gracious, can you imagine when she you know, woke up the morning after the wedding and she thought, I am in a living nightmare with this fool. 
And there was absolutely nothing she could do in those days. Women in those days didn't even have any right to file for divorce. Only the men did. She's stuck. But she is an amazing lesson. She, did, she may have lost her freedom in a sense, but she didn't lose the light of God in her life. And she was of a beautiful countenance. She was still a, a disciple of the Lord, even though she was in a terrible situation. That's a lesson on doing right no matter what circumstance you, you find yourself in. It's also a lesson on God being able to intervene in any circumstance. I mean, do you honestly think that Abigail had any clue that she was going to be the king's wife. You know, here she is married to this fool, this mean, churlish, and evil man. And then within a month after all this went down, she's married to the king. I don't think she saw that one coming. And I don't think that's why she went to David. Another lesson you get here is men and women, boys and girls, don't be a Nabal. <laughs> Don't be a Nabal. There's three main characters that we see here. Four are mentioned, but three main characters. You've got Samuel, who was mentioned the first one that dies here in the first, in first verse. And then you've got David, of course, who we're very familiar with. You've got Nabal and you've got Abigail. But the focus, if you look at the big picture of the chapter, the focus is the death of two great men. I, I wasn't, didn't really occur to me until I was studying this that that's the, that's the emphasis of this chapter. At the beginning of the chapter 25, you have the death of Samuel, who was the last of the judges. It's very notable that this is the, where Samuel passes off the scene. He was a great man. He was a great deliverer. He was a great messenger. He was one, you know, that was, his mother gave him up for adoption to the priest when he was just a boy, four, three or four or five years old. And he was the only light that there was in Israel for decades because of how bad the religious system was in those days and how wicked the sons of Eli were and all the terrible sins they were committing and turning people away from the church in the Old Testament, the, the worship of God. There was the bright light Samuel and all through his life. Now Samuel, he had his faults, of course. Everybody does. But he was a bright light judge for all those years. And it was very impactive to the nation when he died. And I'm sure some people were like, how are we ever going to make it without Samuel? Well, that's a great lesson that God's able no matter who dies, no matter who passes off the scene, God is able to continue to propagate, to continue His kingdom, you see? Because it doesn't depend on a man. It depends on God. And so Samuel passes off the scene. And at the end of the chapter, you have another great man. It says in verse 2, there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was very great. Now, it does not mean the same thing as it, in application to Samuel. Samuel was great in a different way. Nabal was great in another way. Now, when it says that Samuel died in verse 1, I think this is very notable. As I was, you know, y'all know I love the word studies in the Word of God. And, and you know what? You ought to also, because they're very interesting. So the, when it says Samuel died, the word died right there is a, is a picture word of water and of two cross sticks. X marks the spot. That's the way we would think of it. Two cross sticks. You say, what in the world? How did the Hebrews ever come up with that? Water represented chaos. You know, like the sea, tumultuous sea, just constantly in motion. Water represented chaos, and X marks the spot meant there was an end. This is where it ends. So when it says died, it's literally talking about chaos ends. Can you identify with that? I mean, life is just chaotic. 
And sometimes you just say, when is this going to end? And I don't mean a death wish. I don't mean that. But I'm talking about the roller coaster. You know, it's great one day, it's bad the next. That you're up one week, you're down the next. It's, it's a roller coaster in life, and there is an end to that chaos, and it is when you die. And the world says, well, that's terrible, because when you're dead, it's all over. It's just over. Listen, that's when your life begins. That's when chaos ends and total peace begins. When X marks the spot of your life. It also makes you think of X marks the spot on the ground, you know, like somebody goes into a grave. So the chaos of life ends when you go into that grave. And Samuel died. It's interesting too, this word study on died. The etymology or the history of that word is where the English got the word for checkmate in the game of chess, which means the king is dead. So checkmate means I've beat you in chess. You're, you're dead. I just got you. So Samuel dies. Checkmate. Chaos ends. And he, he saw a lot of chaos, did he not? From the days of Eli, who was his adoptive father, who would not restrain his sons, down through the capturing of the ark of the covenant, and it's still out on the fringes of Israel after the Philistines gave it up, from having to deal with Saul and being rejected as a judge. You know, understand that's what happened to Samuel. He was rejected as a judge. And God told Samuel, he said, Samuel, don't worry. They haven't rejected you. They, the nation of Israel, have rejected me. And that's when Saul was appointed. And look how chaotic that was. And then here comes David. He anoints David. And look at the chaos that Samuel has been dealing with in David's life. But chaos ends. And the people mourned. And then you move right into the account of Nabal. You know, what's in a name? I'm going to tell you what I think about the name Nabal. I think this is what people called him. Because I cannot imagine two parents holding a, swaddling a baby, a, a newborn baby boy, and looking at him and saying, let's call him Dolt. <laughs> let's call that little fella Fool. I just can't picture that, can y'all? Now, it could be that the name came to mean that after, but I'd rather think that this is what everybody called Nabal behind his back. So he's nothing but a fool. Why was he a fool? It says he was great. Now, this is a great lesson when it comes to, you know, the old saying, the devil's in the details. You know, you look on the outside and you think, my goodness, Abigail over there married to that rich man. She's got it made. He's got 3,000 sheep. You know, the most I think that we ever carried on McCool Farm in terms of cattle was around 225 to 250 cows. I cannot imagine 3,000 sheep. That's a lot of grass to eat. <laughs> That's a lot of water to drink. That's a lot to take care of, to, to doctor and to shepherd and to take care of. That's a lot you got to have a lot of land. This guy was great. On the outside, on the resume, he looked amazing. And is that not the way that it is? I mean, it's the way you say, well, that's the way it is with other people. It's the way it is with all of us. You know, Everybody's got their warts and pimples. Everybody's got their issues and scars. Everybody, but some, like Nabal, have a lot. You know, some that he brought on himself that are just unnecessary. It says that he was great. That means large in magnitude. He was distinguished. It comes from a word that means a castle. So Nabal was like a castle. I mean, he was a, a big, huge farmer. We would say businessman today. Very wealthy. And yet it says in verse 2 that he was churlish. That's a word we don't use today, but it means to be hard, cruel, and severe. 
This made me think of Boaz. You remember when Boaz came to the, to the reapers, to the workers there in the book of Ruth, and as he comes up and he greets them, he's the opposite of churlish, hard, cruel, and severe. You know, most men would come up and look at their workers, and if one was sitting down, they'd be like, what are you doing? You know, Boaz comes up to him and he says, the Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. That's how Boaz came to his workers. But can you imagine working under somebody like Nabal? who is cruel and severe. It says that he was evil in his doings. That means dysfunctional and wrong. He was dysfunctional. That's a word that we are familiar with today. Is that's, that person is dysfunctional. <laughs> or that situation, that's a dysfunctional situation. We're familiar with that. That's how Nabal was. If you said the sky is blue to Nabal, he's going to argue with you that it's not really blue. If, if you said this is the road we need to take, Nabal's going to argue with you, no, we need to take this other road. He is dysfunctional. Notice it also says that he was of the house of Caleb. <laughs> you know what that means? You remember Caleb? Caleb was one of the two in the days of Moses that actually entered the promised land after 40 years. Remember Joshua and Caleb? They were the only two in their families. Caleb is the one who was in his 80s, maybe 90s, whenever they came into the promised land and, he, and they said, where do you want to settle? He said, I'll take that mountain over there. Well, wait a minute. Don't you know that mountain is filled with giant men? You know, men like Goliath. And Caleb said, no problem. I'll take it. And he took it. He comes from, he's a descendant of, some, of a great man. And yet he is nothing like the man that he came from years before. Probably four or five, maybe six generations. He's of the house of Caleb. You know what that means? That means he's a somewhat close relative to David himself. This is some of the area in which David, the tribe of, of Judah, was in. He's a relative of David. And it says, I'm going to skip ahead to verse 14 to give you more characteristics of him. It says, whenever the young men... See, what happens is this. David and his men are living out, camping out, on hiding out. And for the, the months that they've been there hiding out in this area, they have protected the shepherds of Nabal, who had 3,000 sheep. And there were constantly Philistines and others that were robbing and raiding. And so David's men have, have protected. It says they were like a wall. And so on sheep shearing day, Nabal shearing his sheep, that's like a festival day. That's whenever you're going to you know, count up everything you got and go take it to market and make your money for the year. That's literally what this is. And it was a festival time, a joyous time, unless you were Nabal. And so David sends his men to talk to Nabal in this joyous, festive time and just says, hey, we've, we've been protecting your men out there. Would you mind just sharing with us what you take in today? Just one day's worth of sheep shearing, one day's worth of supplies just to help us out. And that's when Nabal blows up on the ten men of David and said, should I take my food and my water? Was, I mean, think about that, how, how silly that is. Was it really his water? <laughs> Where's water come from? He didn't make it. My food, my water, all of my stuff, and share with men that I don't even know from where they come from. He knows exactly where David comes from. Can you, can you imagine him indicating that he didn't know David? That is a lie right there. This is David who defeated Goliath. Everybody knows David. He says, I don't know David. <laughs> I don't even know who this guy is. And he's a cousin of David's, and he's also David who has slain his ten thousands like the women chanted and sang. It says in verse 14, the, the servants of Nabal reported to Abigail that Nabal railed on them. The word rail, it means to scream. <laughs> so 
I was very quiet when I read that to you in terms of how it really came across. He screamed at them. The picture of the word there is a bird of prey descending on its prey with its talons opened. That's how Nabal descended upon the ten servants of David. He, he railed on them just like a bird of prey would attack and, and sink its talons into a little you know, gopher or a little squirrel or something like that. That's the kind of man this is. Verse 15, it says, But the men, David's men, were very good unto us, and we were not hurt, neither missed we anything, as long as we were conversant with them. When we were in the fields, they were a wall unto us, both night and day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined. The servants knew that evil was coming. Trouble was coming to the house of Nabal. And against all his household... For, now this is what the servants say about their master, their boss. For he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. That is worse than being called Nabal. Nabal means fool or dolt. And you know this guy in terms of business sense, you know, he was not dumb. Because he had built up a great empire business. So he could put two and two together and he could handle business. He was crooked in his business. And a lot of what he got was by unjust gain and by taking advantage of people. But he's not somebody who is where they can't even understand what you're saying. He is a smart man. He's clever, but he's clever like a fox. See? And now the servants say, he's a man of Belial. I tell you what, you don't want to be a man of Belial, a woman of Belial, a child of Belial. Belial, Baal, means worthless or naughty. There's a song that used to be popular, still popular at Christmas time, you know? Making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty and nice. You know, we think that's kind of a funny word, naughty. But it was a serious word back in these days. If you were called naughty, it was not just like chiding a child, you're naughty. No, it meant you were good for nothing. That's what it means. And they're basically saying, our boss is good for nothing. A man that cannot even, you cannot even speak to this man. You look on down to verse 25, and it says, whenever Abigail was talking to David, when she was interceding for the house to keep it from being destroyed, she refers to him, to Nabal, her husband, as a man of Belial. And by the way, this does not justify, you know, women who are displeased, or wives who are displeased with their husband, running their husbands down. <laughs> you might consider running him down if it's like this situation, whenever somebody's on the way to your house to kill you. <laughs> it's a very extreme situation here. And she says that he's a man of Belial. He is good for nothing. And his name is Nabal. For that, as his name, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. Folly means senselessness, immorality, profane, a disgrace. That's what this man was. As Samuel, the prophet, the judge, was great in the eyes of the people, this man Nabal would have just been a byword. You see the extremes here? You got the death of a man named like Samuel who was so esteemed in the nation of Israel. And then you got the death of this wicked man who nobody cared anything for, but he had a great house and he had great riches. But you could not speak to him and he engaged in folly. Senseless. It was senseless what he did. You ever encountered anybody like that? Especially that are just overcome with sins or with their own addictions or their own passions that can't be controlled. That's just senseless. <laughs> senseless. Yeah, it made me think of... I never did this. I'm not giving any kind of confession here. But, you know, back in the 80s, I don't even know if it's even popular anymore now, but in the 70s and the 80s, even in the 60s, I've heard, you know, that it was very popular for young men to go out and get drunk and, and take a baseball bat and knock people's mailboxes over. You know, they go riding down the road. I'm not trying to give anybody any ideas here now. But 
I've thought of, what's the point? I mean, what, what is that? What does that fulfill? Go and knock some, which by the way is a federal offense, just in case you didn't know. That's a federal crime. <laughs> but I mean, what's the point? It's senseless. Yeah, that's what Nabal was. I'm not saying he went and knocked mailboxes over, but he was senseless in what he did. If you said right, he said left. If you said up, he said down. He was senseless because he was a cantankerous, wicked man. You don't want to bear any type of characteristics like Nabal. You know, especially to the men I speak and to the future husbands I speak, you want to bear characteristics like Elkanah did with Hannah. You remember? Hannah had that eating disorder. Hannah was in a terrible state. She was constantly being bullied every day of her life. And Elkanah, her husband, by the way, that's in 1 Samuel, just a few chapters back. And Elkanah, you know, aside from the foolishness of having, you know, two wives to begin with, you know, the way that he dealt with it was not to hammer her. He didn't rail on her, but he said to her, don't you know that I love you even more than 10 sons could love you? Because that's why Hannah was so down. She was being bullied and she was being shamed and made fun of because she did not have a child. And if you read, the, if you read carefully there, one of the reasons that she did not have a child is because God, for whatever reason, was withholding that from her because she was very pride, seems to be very prideful in the way that she was approaching things. In other words, that's maybe, I'm just conjecture here, but maybe she put so much emphasis on that to validate her as a person that she could not have any kind of fellowship with God. And she was being bullied and she had an eating disorder and Elkanah comes to her and he says, don't you know I love you more than 10 sons that you could have for me? He says, I love you. And did you know from that point when he spoke truth into her, that's whenever she began to get better. And you know where she went to deal with her eating disorder? You know where she went to deal with the bullying? You know where she went to deal with her emotions and with all the things that were vexing her? She went to church. She went to church. And by the way, it was not a very nice place to go back in those days. She went and prayed and Eli the priest was there and Eli was the one that was causing so much trouble with his sons. <laughs> but she still went to church. And that's how that man, that husband, spoke truth into his wife. He loved her. And here's Nabal. I could just picture the... I don't think they had knockdown dragouts because you didn't have a knockdown dragout with a man like Nabal. He just knocked you down and drug you out, <laughs> you see. He won every argument that he ever had. You didn't, so I'm sure Abigail just learned never even converse with this man because it's pointless. But here's a situation where she does not tell her husband and she understands the, the whole household is about to be wiped out. David is going to wipe out Nabal and all at least all of the men and boys in that house. And it appears that, Nab that Nabal and Abigail thank God, had not had a child at this point. So Abigail takes it upon herself to go and intercede because this man is so full of folly. You can't speak to him. You can't tell him anything. He can't be counseled. He can't be directed. He is just... He is, he is a picture of the natural man without God's influence. And child of grace, we don't want to bear any of those characteristics. Think about the opposite of that, the opposite of Nabal, who can't be told anything, who can't be counseled, who can't be directed, who won't submit to anything, who wants to just be argumentative. We need to bear the opposite of those characteristics, don't we? <laughs> now, as far as Abigail goes, it says in verse 18, I know we're jumping around a little bit here, but I want to bring this to a conclusion very quickly. In verse 18, it says that Abigail, when she made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two bottles of wine, 
five sheep ready dress, a huge sack of popcorn, Chex Mix, and Fig Newtons. <laughs> What's so funny? Y'all not reading the same Bible I'm reading? It says she took 200 loaves, two bottles of wine, five sheep ready dressed, five measures of parched corn or popcorn, and a hundred clusters of raisins. You know, in my mind, she mixes all that together. What you got? You got checks mixed. But anyway, 200 cakes of figs. That's fig newtons. Don't y'all love those? Those things are very filling. And no, I'm not advertising for them, but they're just very filling. And I love them since I was a child. You know, the old saying, the way to get to a man's heart is through his stomach. <laughs> There's some truth to that. So she takes all of this food over there and goes out and meets. Nobody has said they're on the way. But she, in her mind, God has spoke to her heart and said, you better get moving. So she makes haste. And sure enough, as she goes, she encounters them coming to destroy her household. And she comes down. Look what she does. Read in verse 23. Abigail saw David. She hasted, lighted off of the ass, the donkey, and fell before David on her face. That looks very similar to what David did with Saul in the previous chapter, doesn't it? The man who's trying to kill him. Here is a woman who's facing a man who was coming to destroy and kill all those in her house. And she falls down on her face to the ground. These are great lessons about how to overcome evil with good. And she bowed herself to the ground and she begins to give one of the most beautiful speeches that you've ever heard in the Word of God. And notice she says, verse 24, upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. Is Abigail the one that said what Nabal said? No. But notice how she takes on the sin of her husband. She says, let it be upon me. And she continues to refer to what Nabal did as something that she did. Can you not see that that's a beautiful picture of Christ? That's what Christ has done for you. Here we have a beautiful picture where Christ has taken on your sins and he's taken on what you did and he's been made to be sin and paid for it. You see, Abigail's doing the same thing here. She's saying, hold this to my account. Don't hold it against him. I'll take it upon me. She's becoming a surety. See, look at me, she says. I'm so sorry that I did this when she didn't even do it. And I tell you, that's a level of laying down your life that we need to understand. She asked David to lay the sin of Nabal to her charge. And I know I hadn't mentioned this in the last couple Sundays, but I believe that if you'll read Psalm 37 in conjunction with what's going on here, at least part of Psalm 37, I believe, is a reference to what goes on here with Nabal. That's where David wrote and said, fret not thyself against evildoers when they prosper in the way. To fret means to get heated or to get angry, to glow. That's what the word means, to become fiery red. And I'm telling you, David was fiery red when he was going to kill Nabal until the intercessor came. And in this circumstance, the intercessor was Abigail. And Abigail laid herself down before David. And David praises God and blesses the Lord, blesses her and blesses her advice. I tell you, that's, that's a godly young woman right there, is it not? In the midst of terrible circumstances, you know, in the, the, the time that we're living in today, when everybody seems to be blasting everybody and when everybody says, well, my rights have been offended or so-and-so's done this to me or whatever, and it's all about me, I tell you, here's a young woman who did not make it about her. She made it about doing the right thing in a terrible circumstance and look what happens. First of all, she saves her house from being destroyed. 
It might be a young woman under the sound of my voice or a young person under the sound of my voice that finds themselves in a circumstance like this. And yet, by the grace of God and by the, the intercession of God, you can save your house. You can be spared from destruction like was coming here. Not just the physical destruction, but from the decimation of your house just by following the Lord, no matter what the circumstance is. And look what happens to her. She delivers her house. She goes back and she tells her husband, you know, she didn't poison him. She goes back and she tells him when he sobers up the next day after he's been in this drunken party all night like a fool, another evidence of his foolishness. And whenever she says to him, I can just see him, he, he lets go one gulp, boom, and boom, he falls over with a stroke. And they put him up in the bed for 10 days. And notice, you don't read about this much in the Word of God, but you do occasionally. And it says, the Lord smote him. He had a stroke because of the fright that he got from finding out what almost happened to him. It's not what happened to him that got him to have a stroke. It's what almost happened to him. They lay him up for 10 days and the Lord smites that wicked man. He's wicked. And the Lord smites him. And when David finds out, David says, send my man over there. Ask her to be my wife. I mean, that is like the Cinder a Cinderella story of the Old Testament, is it not? You know, she went from, you know, what we would say the wicked stepmother, you know, the, the wicked Nabal. And she becomes the wife of the, of the king. And if you'll do a careful study on the seven wives of David, I think you'll find that Abigail, without a doubt, was the most functional, not dysfunctional, but the most functional, non-dramatic wife that he had. And so were her kids. If you'll do a careful study about that. Two great men, Samuel goes off the scene and the kingdom of God continues. Another great man, very wicked, very evil, dies and goes off the scene. I hope that we can learn a lesson, many lessons, from the way David flew off the handle and repented, the way Abigail made intercession in the midst of a terrible situation and the characteristics of Nabal, which you do not want to be Nabal. Trust me, you do not want to be that man as a man, woman, or child. You don't want to have those kind of characteristics. You want to be spoken of like Samuel was spoken of. <laughs> he was a great man. He was a great influence and a great champion for the kingdom of God. I hope that's been profitable, and I pray the Lord will bless the message to your edification and for His glory.